Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks for, for the reading. You know, stats show that uh, more and more people read the Bible less, go to church less, uh, pray less. And, and I think of that all the time. You know, like one of the things I feel Jesus is going to ask me one day is, did you help people uh, love me more, learn about me more, pray more consistently? And, uh, and I often think of different ways that we can help you with that. Uh, so periodically, we're going to have the scriptures read like that for you. You might not know this, but the earliest Christians all heard the Bible like that. That means if you're used to distractions, it would be hard because you'd be like, oh, I didn't hear that, and, and they didn't have PowerPoint or slides or lights and all that other stuff. Uh, but this morning, you just got a taste of what it's like to meet two people, we know the name of one of them, Cleopas, who heard that Jesus is alive and resurrected, but he's kind of moved on and his friend is with him. And, and you might not like, kind of know the story well, so let me just kind of situate the story for you, that if you have a Bible... We're told that these people are leaving Jerusalem and going to a place called Emmaus, which is probably where they live. And thankfully, uh, because of Google Maps, we actually know how far all this is. And here's the, what your Google Maps will tell you. If you looked up Emmaus to Jerusalem, uh, and if you had a car in the Bible times, it would be 60-minute drive. If you took a train, 18 minutes. But they walked, so it took how long? Three hours and some, depending on how fast you're walking. You know, fast walking people. There's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about in three hours. But what the Bible tells us is that as they're talking and as they're walking, that they are discouraged and overwhelmed because somebody that they thought was going to change the world, they had given their lives to, they had followed, they had believed his teachings, and he's dead, and they're not sure. And the Bible starts to introduce us to something that happens in the Bible very often is that people are with Jesus, but they don't realize that it's Him right away. This still happens today in our world, I think. That many people sense that something is going on, that, that God is trying to speak to them, but they're not sure that it's Him or that what He wants. And maybe for you, that sounds like something spiritual, or you have questions and you're not sure. And people in the Bible are trying to learn what this means, and Jesus is with them. And what's beautiful about this is that as they make their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Jesus shows up. He shows up, in their discouragement. And he doesn't quickly just say, ha ha, it's me. He doesn't do that. I think I would have done that. That's my style. Balloons. He just lives a little bit in their discouragement and says, what's, what's been going on? This is such good news for us to know that Jesus, who has all the power in the world, who at any point can reveal everything that we would ever want, sometimes does not do that, but just wants us to know that he's okay with being with us in our discouragement. He's okay with just walking with us just a bit longer. And as you read this story, and hopefully you read it and you're learning how to read your Bible, I wonder sometimes what it would take for these people to do a 180, 
to go from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, where they came from. And the Bible tells us something that happens, and it's profound. As they're walking with Jesus, it gets to this point in the story where Jesus starts to talk to them about the scriptures and about the things in the Bible that maybe they've forgotten. This is what we're told. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. Ah, to have Jesus stay with us. Stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. You ready for this? And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Beautiful. This moment in this story captures something that we've been wrestling with as we started a series last week. And if you're here, maybe you caught it online. If you missed it, you can always watch on YouTube. This idea of the things that happen in life that make us quit or move on too quickly from going where Jesus is calling us to go. And we use this clever idea, the staff, we spoke about it, this idea that in our culture is captured in the word unsubscribe. I did it this week, I got to admit. I was at a store with my wife, and they said it. You know that, that moment where you're like, are you a member of our store? I'm like, no, I even hate being in the store now. I'm here because I love my wife. Hurry up. And the lady's like, no, you know, it's a good, we have sales and this and that. And they're like, hey, just two minutes, you have your email address, we'll sign you up. I'm like, and then she's like, yeah, but you can always unsubscribe. I'm like, okay, let's do it. It's great. <laughs> give them my passport number, credit card number, give them everything. <laughs> I'm kidding. But it's this constant thing in our culture that, that is wired into us to think, you know what, you should sign up for this. This is going to be great for you. And when you're tired and bored, you can just move on. Just unsubscribe. It doesn't matter. And after a while, there's this thing that gets into our hearts that we use this method with other things in life, with relationships, difficult times. We're doing a class on emotional maturity to help people get mature about relationships. You don't just move on when things get hard. But most of all, it happens with our spiritual lives. That we have these moments that were difficult, we were discouraged, we prayed, God didn't answer our prayer. We didn't believe that God would be with us in our discouragement, so we went back home. We went back to Emmaus. Jesus didn't deliver. It didn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. The women told us he's alive, but we don't even know if we believe them, whatever. You know, the women, they're saying stuff. I don't know. We're like the people in the story. We have moments that stir us and we just walk away. And for some of you, you're in the season where the next chapter would be so beautiful if you just stuck with Jesus. One of the reasons we want to do a series like this and we've wanted to do a series like this is to help you not miss the next things that God has for you. And you might miss them if you just walk away because it felt too hard or too busy or you weren't sure. And Jesus is just inviting you to just stay with him. Just keep going. Jesus just keeps walking with them. And what's beautiful in the story is they do this 180. They get to Emmaus. I don't know how fast they just eat, turn it around. And we're told in the story their hearts are overwhelmed and they're excited and they go back to Jerusalem. Another three hours. Have you ever walked for six hours straight? I'm like, I don't know. I love Jesus, not that much. It's, jo- it's a joke, okay? Don't send me an email. But there's a, there's a moment where you read the story and you feel the weight of some of these things. And, and we really hope that over the next little while, you begin to feel God just stirring you to just be committed in new ways. I'm not sure what it would take in your life to understand that, you know, that the way the world 
kind of puts pressure on us and and causes us to doubt God's goodness and to make us quit and move on, those things are always going to be there. It requires a deep commitment to the way of Jesus when things are going well and when things are confusing, to stay connected to the story. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And this morning is going to feel like, for some of you, especially if you're new, it's gonna, a part of the sermon is going to feel like teachy. Like, I'm going to teach a bit some things about history and about the Bible. And, and maybe you're like, you know, that's new for you in church. Or maybe you're like, I don't want a church where I have to think differently. It's okay. We're going to miss you. But, you know, one of, the things, one of the things we try to do is to help encourage you to think in deeper ways. Because it's always shocking to me when I meet people who've been Christians for 20 years and they believe the same things today that they did when they became Christians. They've never grown, they've never matured, they've never allowed God to stretch them, they've never gone deeper in God's word. They just believe the same, they just say the same things. Their faith is like tweets, you know? Jesus is the reason for the season. What does that even mean? It's so dumb. Some of you, if you have that in your car, I'm sorry. It's beautiful. But it's, it's like we have all these like little tips we say, but we never go deeper in the word to understand what God is trying to teach us. So I want you to write something down about the passage, that the passage we just read is given to us from a place in the Bible which is called the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us this story about these people on the road to Emmaus. And it's very important that you write this down somewhere, maybe remember it if you have a great memory, that Luke was not there. Luke is not one of the first apostles of Jesus. We know from the Bible that Luke is someone who later will follow Jesus by exploring the story of Jesus a lot later. Which means that the reason Luke even knows this story is that people are talking about it. They're sharing about the day that we went to, uh, to Emmaus and Jesus met us on that road. And this story is circulating enough that Luke is aware of it. He's like, people need to know this. People need to know that when they feel at their worst, when they feel most discouraged, when they want to unsubscribe and move on, Jesus can find them in their discouragement. Luke writes this. And if you're taking notes, I want you to remember this, that Luke not only writes and gives us the gospel of Luke, he also gives us, if you want to think of it this way, part two of the gospel of Luke, which is called the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? So Luke gives us two books in the New Testament. He gives us the gospel of Luke, which is easy to remember because it has his name in it, right? But Acts of the Apostles is maybe harder. But the Acts of the Apostles, which is the activity of the earliest apostles, is also written by Luke. And this will help us because you almost, if you're reading your Bible and if you're studying Luke, you should read Luke and then read Acts right after. You should kind of read them together because they're meant to be heard together. And this is so important because in the next book, in the book of Acts, Luke is going to tell us something that is about to happen that's going to help the followers of Jesus not quit and not give up when they're most discouraged. He's going to tell them that Jesus is about to release the power of the Holy Spirit upon them that's going to help them be the disciples that Jesus is calling them to be. And this is what we read about. If you read right at the beginning of the book of Acts, this is what we're told. I, Luke, wrote about all, the, all that Jesus began to do. He's talking about the gospel of Luke. To do, to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Okay, so just think about this. That one of the things that God starts to stir in his people is that things are going to start to happen now, and Jesus doesn't just die, resurrect, goes to heaven, which is what a lot of people think, whatever. But he dies, he's alive, and he starts to see his apostles, the disciples, and he starts to say to them, wait, wait, remember I told you that what I'm calling you to to do next, 
you will never be able to do on your own strength. So don't get carried away here. The Holy Spirit is going to come. The Spirit is with them. And for 40 days, they're just hanging out. That'd be really cool to be there. I don't know about you. I'd have like lots of questions, lots of laughs, lots of jokes. But maybe for some of you, you'd have a question about the kingdom of God. What does that mean? He spoke about the kingdom of God for 40 days? Like I could think about like four hours. Okay, maybe like four days. But for 40 days, Jesus is unpacking this idea of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's harder for us to understand this, but it would not have been hard for the earliest disciples because when Jesus was teaching them, he often spoke about the kingdom of God. And maybe for you, this is a new concept, but the Bible is always pointing us to this idea that when Jesus came and was raised to life, he drew us into the things that God is doing, and the language that the Bible uses is that the kingdom of God is now in our midst. It's being being birthed in our midst as the power of the Spirit comes alive in us. And now, this was hard for me to understand. Because I was like, listen, I just, I'm ready to go to heaven. Like, I don't know what this kingdom of God thing is. I often think, thought about that when I was growing up. And when you read the Bible, you see that Jesus is actually inviting his disciples into seeing their lives as if they fit in this new kingdom of God that is unfolding in their midst. If you want to write anything down, just remember, the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus over everything around us. Think about dropping a a pebble in a pond and the ripple effect just going all the way out all to the extremes. So the resurrection is the rock. And now the kingdom of God is unfolding and it's starting to take shape and it's moving out. And the disciples now are going to move out and start to be part of this. What would it look like for me and you to see our lives fitting in the kingdom of God? You know how amazing it would be for our kids if we taught them consistently that their life is not about success, it's not about finding someone to marry, it's not about feeling happy every day, but it's about seeing their lives fit into the kingdom of God. If they learned that, they would be set free forever. Everything that the world would throw their way would stick and fall off, it'd just fall off. That doesn't mean all those things are bad. But what's most important is that they see their lives fitting in the power and the truth of the resurrection because the kingdom of God is now taking shape, taking root. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your life is meant to fit into the reality of the new kingdom of God? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray about this, and we'll get to this in a few weeks. But as he does this, he begins to invite them to understand one important thing that I know almost everybody has a problem with. This you can write down as big as you want. That things are about to change. How many of you know people who love change? How many of you know that churches are the place where change is like the worst thing you can say in any church? I've been up here. Amen. Jean Martin in the front. Maybe people online have two hands up. I've been a pastor long enough, and I've been in enough meetings in enough churches, and almost every time I'm in a church or I'm helping in a situation, people will say, so what things do you think are you going to change? I remember I was once at a church, and they had this big wooden thing in the front where the pastor preached. They had a massive King James Bible. It was like... Any of you ever, it's in the movies now, whatever. It's like this big King James Bible, you open it up. It was kind of beautiful. But there was a dust because nobody really read it. It was just kind of like magical. And I remember I went to the church for a while. I'm like, it looks nice. And Sister Lily's husband's friend from 1815 built the thing. There was a story. It was long. I don't remember it. But there was this thing. And I got there. I was like, this is so beautiful. I'm like, can we just move that like over there? The people looked at me like, honestly, I saw aliens. 
They're like, you want to move the, Bi- the Bible that Jesus read over there? By the way, Jesus didn't read the King James Bible. <laughs> Some of you are like, really? Write that down. Jesus read the King James Bible. Write that down. No, don't write that down. Change is hard. I was thinking about a title for the sermon. I was thinking that what kind of change happens to us that tests our devotion to Jesus? What kind of change starts to bubble up in our lives that starts to test how much we're willing to follow Jesus no matter where He calls us? What's something that could happen in your life this year that would cause so much change that you would start to doubt whether God loves you? What would that be? Sickness, loss of a job, the death of a loved one. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's easy to read the Bible and to miss that all of these changes are about to happen as the followers of Jesus are learning about the kingdom of God. I want to just do something for you, and if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. If you're taking notes, I want you to just do like this circle. I think we might have it up there. All right, you're awake? Oh, it doesn't read the stylus. Circle. That's nice, huh? Let's try again. Is that better? Kingdom of God. Let's try again. Kingdom of God. Circle. Is that better? All of you are judging me inside. I feel, I feel I'm being judged. Why doesn't this work? Somebody get on that. Will. Okay. Now, if you're, if you taking notes, I wanted to write down, I tried my iPad, it didn't work, right? I want you to put like all of these circles around the kingdom of God. And I want you to, I'm going to tell you what to write in those circles of the things that are about to change for these followers of Jesus. The first thing that's going to change is they have to rethink a festival that they've done for most of their lives called the Passover and now understand that it's pointing to Jesus, not just to Moses. You're like, okay, write that down. I'm so confused. Put that down. They're going to have to rethink that the kingdom of God means that people who are not Jewish can now come and say yes to God and be part of the family of God. They're like, what? What do you mean? Jesus, wait a second. What do you mean? They're going to have to realize that the story of the kingdom of God is not just about Israel, but it's about other people as well. They're going to have to put that in the change quadrant. They're going to have to realize that some of those people who are not Jewish don't even have to get circumcised anymore. And all the men said? Amen. Hallelujah. There is a God. All right. Whatever. Change. Put that in there. You wanted the Bible. You got the Bible. They're working through all this. And ready for the last one? They're about to learn that Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, is about to launch something called the church, of which they're like, what is that? What do you mean? And we know this is so hard for them to understand that some of his disciples will say to Jesus, hey, is this the time when, you know, Israel is finally the people of God that all the world knows that you're our God? And Jesus is like, you haven't seen anything yet. Things are about to change. Things are about to change. And you need to be ready for what this change looks like. This whole theme has been in my heart like in a heavy way these past few weeks. Because as a staff and as elders, as we've talked and prayed, we felt that some of the things that God is doing in our church are stirring in us that change is coming in some ways. Certain change is coming. Many of you know this. It's not that rocket science. That our capacity in our, in our space is filling up. 
how we deal with our kids and different ministries and staffing to make room. Because if you know anything about the Bible, you know that every time God blesses His people, He invites them to have to change some things. You know who knows this best? Parents who have twins. That the blessing of having more babies too soon, it's like, oh my goodness, we've got to sell our house and buy more things. So this blessing pushes you to have to reassess what you're doing. So, and I just pause here just for something really, really important. Can I ask you all to be praying for us as elders and staff and different key leaders as we think about what's next for making room for others, for making sure our kids are learning in a way that works, for, for just creating some new space as we, as we think about the summertime and the fall. It's not easy because change makes us wonder about certain things. Change where you sit. Change what time you come to church. Change where you park. Change, change, change. And, you're like, and change is that moment where we celebrate God's goodness, but we also remind ourselves that in the midst of change, all of us are going to be tested as to whether we're committed to the ways of God further than this moment. Because I know this in my life, I don't know if it's in your life, I love being comfortable. I love knowing where I'm going to sit at my house, what time we're going to eat, like I love that, right? There's some people that's so important, and that's a good thing sometimes, but change comes. And when you read the Bible and you read it early on in the New Testament, you see as this change comes, hey buddy, uh, that you see that the kingdom of God is going to call the disciples of Jesus to start to change. And last week, we kind of gave you this image of the kinds of things that the earliest Christians, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, remember? What's the other book that he wrote? Acts. In the book of Acts, he starts to tell us the things that the earliest followers of Jesus devoted themselves to. And if you were here last week, you remember this passage. I want to read it for you. It says this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. These are the things that started to become like anchor points as things started to change. Which of these things do you find easiest to do? If you don't even know what they mean, we're so happy you're here, by the way, because we're going to teach you a lot. But the apostles' teaching is this deep commitment to the teachings that we get, not only in the Bible, to the, how the Bible is coming together and how the Christians are learning to follow Jesus. Maybe for some of you, the hardest thing is to just commit to being here to celebrate communion together when we break bread and take communion. Maybe that's hard. Your schedule is like, oh, I don't know. You know I, I meet people who have been Christians for a long time. They don't even think about taking communion. And I'm like, uh, that's a problem. Maybe for some of you, it's prayer. You have times where you're praying and other times where you're like, I don't think I know how to pray. These are the things the earliest followers of Jesus began to devote themselves to as things were changing, as they realized God is bringing all these new people and we have to kind of help them follow Jesus. Now, I, I want to just do one thing for this morning because we don't have a lot of time. I want to talk about two things in this list. Okay, just two things, and, and you'll see them on the screen. And the reason I want to talk about them is because over the years, what's happened, you can put the two things, the apostol, uh, apostles' teaching and the fellowship. What's happened over the years is something in our culture that nobody in the Bible would have ever imagined, is that the teachings of the apostles and the fellowship of being together as Christians has slowly kind of disconnected. It slowly starts to move apart. Where more and more today, there's people who are like, I just read the Bible whenever I need to be encouraged and I don't go to church. I'm not committed to anyone. I'm not accountable to anybody. I don't serve anywhere. There's like this disconnect between the teachings of the earliest apostles and the community of people that keep us accountable to living in the teachings of the community of God. Some of you get that? 
that you have the apostles' teachings, but the fellowship of those who gather together to worship, this being the church, is the place where accountability, correction, love, encouragement happens so that we're being faithful to the apostles' teachings. So I'm going to talk about these two, and maybe it's going to help you. Maybe my hope is that as, as we, we learn, you're going to feel them coming back together. Because the further they go apart, the further things get complicated. There's something about the disconnection of learning about Jesus on our own, by ourselves, that is really unhealthy. And it becomes very common, I think, of the internet. I have some people that I know and some pastors across the country and even in the U.S. that have wrestled with this so much that they shut down their website and their internet for church so that people could not get teaching online because they wanted to close the gap. They said if people want to learn, they should be with other people. We, we can encourage others. Now, we didn't make that decision. felt a bit drastic for us, but, but I want to just talk about this for a little bit. It's very important. A few months ago, I got a, a random note from somebody. I remembered them briefly, and they sent me a note on Messenger. They said, hey, Pastor Dom, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm just wondering, this so-and-so go to your church? Always, my rash comes back right away. <laughs> Dom has a rash? It's a, it's, a, it's a figure of speech that I hate those kinds of texts. And I read this, I was like, this is kind of weird. And I said, sorry, I'm, I'm not sure I remember you. I'm not sure about this person. I said, is everything okay? They're like, I was doing some business with this person, and they're irresponsible. They lied to me, and if they go to your church, I wanted to let you know. And I thought, this is so weird. You know why it's so weird? Because this person assumes that people who I'm the pastor of, I correct when they do bad stuff. They just assume that, like, if somebody acts inappropriately, Pastor Dom shows up at your house with a hammer, says, hey, 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 (laughs) araitsa. Like, it's this ascent. But, but think about this. There's something so true to that. That when those who claim that they love Jesus are part of a community that they're accountable to, there should be moments where we say together, hey, I noticed this. It seems like it doesn't fit in the kingdom of God of which Jesus spoke about. We should talk. We should pray. We should hug. How you doing? Right? That's when those two things are held together. It's the world almost expects this. They, they think that this is normal. They're like, oh, if you go to church, you should act differently than other people. We might not always do that well, and we don't. We struggle because we're not perfect. But it's like assumed that apostles' teaching and the community of people who claim to be on that, those teachings, that they're held together and they grow together. Maybe for you, this is kind of hard to understand and you to understand. But the apostles' teachings is such a beautiful idea that I want to help you understand this, that when Jesus was with his disciples. Early on, on that Good Friday, the Gospel of John gives us this beautiful section. It's one of the only sections we really have of this, where Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for them. He prays for them, and in John chapter 17, you'll see what he prays. It's so beautiful. He says this, I do not ask for these only. This is Jesus praying. I do not ask for, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. As Jesus is praying, he prays to God that the disciples would be encouraged to know that the Spirit of God is with them, and a sign that the Spirit of God is with them is that other people will hear the teachings of the apostles, and they will say yes to Jesus. So often, you know, I've read this, and I've read it, but, but also for those who will believe in me through my word. 
through just the Scripture's Word. But it says, no, through their Word. Through the apostles' teachings, other people will start to understand who Jesus is. By the way, that's the roots of why we have a Bible. And I think it's so beautiful that when you look at the book of Acts, I told you it'll feel a bit teachy this morning. When you look at the book of Acts, you realize that when it says that they devoted them to the apostles' teachings, it's actually a sign of them that Jesus' prayer is being answered. That Jesus' prayer, that others would start to say yes to Jesus because of their words, because of their testimony, is actually happening. It's a beautiful reminder for us. When our prayers start to unravel before our eyes and we realize it's coming together in a way we never thought. You know, I think about the many things I prayed for for my kids, for many of you in your home, for our church. And as it starts to come together, we're like, God, I think you're answering our prayers. This, this is amazing. I remember months ago, right, right after like the, the pandemic happened and we were kind of rejigging chairs and stressed about who was going to show up, all this stuff. I remember being here one night by myself. And it was just quiet. It's a bit spooky when you're in the warehouse by yourself. You hear sounds. You're like, oh, no. But just sitting in just random chairs in the room and just praying, God, for the people who might sit in this section, for the people who might hear your, your love for them for the first time in this section. And as Easter has been unfolding, I've often sensed Jesus saying, I've answered your prayers now. Watch. Jesus answering your prayers, our prayers. But that means change is coming. That means like new things that we didn't anticipate is going to happen. All these other things. Now I want to go back to holding the tension between what? What are the two things? Between apostolic teaching and fellowship. I want to give you two Bible passages. I'm going to read them very, very quickly, and I want you to stay with me because I need you to learn because this is so important. I want to give you two passages that reinforce how important the earliest Christians would have held the teachings of the apostles and fellowship together so clearly. So we're told. You'll see them both on the same slide. It says this, After this letter has been read to you in the book of Colossians, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. This is to the church in Colossae. You can write this down, you can read it later. That already we have examples of Christians who are getting letters of the apostles, they're teaching, and as they read stuff, then when they're done reading it, they send it, and another church reads it, and then they read it. This is so foreign to us. We're like, we have the Bible on our iPad, on devices in different languages, and we don't even read it. And the other thing that's important in Timothy, we see this. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading, oh, that should be underneath, to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. This morning, you got a taste of the public reading of Scripture. Of Scripture read out loud. Nobody in the Bible has a Bible the way we have a Bible. Nobody. And we know that 90% of people in the Bible can't even read, so they're not even asking for a Bible. They're hearing the Bible read as the apostles' teachings are being lived out in accountable fellowship with other Christians. We are so blessed to live in a digital age, technology, devices. All those things are good things. But if we're not careful, they start to disconnect us from the place where real devotion to Jesus takes root. This will happen all the time. And we soon unsubscribe, not because we're having a bad day, it's because we're just disconnected. I've seen this pattern time and time again. That over time, the devil has done this to me and it's going to happen in your life. You disconnect 
from really understanding your Bible. And as you disconnect, you stop reading the scriptures and you get discouraged that other people are not reaching out and you feel alone. And after you feel alone, you start to lack discernment about the decisions that you make. If you want to remember those, it's very, very easy. You disconnect, you get discouraged, and you start to lack discernment when you make decisions that are not aligned with the kingdom of God. That's always, always, always shocking to me, and it should be shocking to you. When you make decisions and you're like, why did I even do that? What, I did, what was I thinking? I've said that. Have you ever said that? You're like, what was I thinking when I, I did that? We disconnect. We're, we're kind of like, not sure. We're going to do our own thing. No one is accountable. We're not accountable to anybody. Then we get discouraged because we feel alone. And the devil uses that. You want a pattern in Scripture constantly. Jesus is alone. He's going to be tempted. David is alone. He's going to be tempted. Judas is alone. You want money? He's going to be brought aside. Why? Because you know a little bit of the apostles' teachings, but you're not at all connected to the community that says, whoa, 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 what's going on? You're hearing like tips on the internet? You heard a preacher you like from Florida? Who cares? If you're watching us online, you know this. We love that people are connecting with us online and are learning, but our hope is that you would be here, part of this community, or find a community of faith. Because that's what the Bible teaches. The earliest Christians are holding that together and they're learning to do that together. This is something that I hope we learn as we go through this spring and summer. Because spring and summertime is a great time to just get away. Vacation, hang out. That's all good stuff, by the way. But remember that when that happens, there's all this room for disconnection. Being like, I know I don't care. I'm not sure what matters. And we're just going to ask you to think about when God leads you into seasons where things are changing, He stirs in you a reminder that you have to hold on to things and hold them together. The word fellowship is such a weird word in the Bible. Because we use it for like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever use the word fellowship until when I read the Bible. Anyone? Think about in the week. When you're talking to your friend, hey, you want to come over? You want to do some fellowship? Do you say that? <laughs> who, said, who does that? Any, anybody? If you said that, you can leave right now. That is so weird. Like, I think of fellowship, I have such a, I have like a weird, uh, fellowship for me? <laughs> this is horrible. Okay, don't judge me. You're already judging me. But <laughs> I think of going to the basement of a church where people are eating egg sandwiches and a lady's asking me to pray for her cat. Like, you put those together and I think that's fellowship right there. It feels so creepy. Like, because there's no other word that like captures the beauty of a shared life together, which is what the Greek word means. So we hear fellowship, we're like, I don't want any of that. Oh my goodness, I'm so done with church. I get it. But in the Bible, that's not what the word is meant to make us feel. It's meant for us to feel the joy of hearing the scriptures read of wanting to live and walking to learn that the apostles' teachings are pointing us to Jesus. And when this fellowship really becomes real, we share with each other good things, bad things, struggles, joy of new, new dreams, our prayers. As I wrap up, I want to encourage you to pay attention every time you're tempted to disconnect learning and hearing God's word from being with those who God is stirring to grow and help you grow together. Be careful. Because that disconnection starts as something very subtle, and soon you find yourself going down a track where you feel like disoriented and discouraged. One of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament is to the church in Rome. This is so beautiful because it captures the power 
of disconnection and connection in such a beautiful way. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself. Church in Rome, this is a serious church. (laughs) One of the most influential churches in the New Testament. Every time I read this passage, I, I, I pause and I ask myself, are you in a season where you feel weak now? Are you in a season where you feel strong now? Because the Bible very quickly says, for those of you who are strong, it's time now for you to pay attention to those who are here who are feeling weak right now, who are discouraged, who are overwhelmed. And we would share or carry with them some of the burden of their weakness. Maybe for some of you, you're just weak and you're not even sure how to ask for help. You know what it means to have the kind of church where people who are weak can admit that they're weak? It's a church that's built on the teachings of the apostles of Jesus because Jesus taught them that. Jesus taught them that because at times he was also weak and they saw him pray and be sustained by the strength of God that we would long to be this kind of church. talking with Sean and I just thought about singing the song Healer again or Yes I Will because it's, it's kind of like captures the opposite of how easy it is to unsubscribe when we came up with the series we put this big don't like don't unsubscribe don't drop off too soon don't quit too early don't feel like you just have to carry this alone because you don't have to in this safe place where we're accountable and learning and growing, we who are strong will encourage you, not judge you, not blame you, but we will build you up like the passage says. Build up is encouragement to say something that maybe you missed, to pray together. I'm going to have you stand and I want to give you another image that those who devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, regularly found themselves with each other. And Paul tells us that one of the things the earliest Christians do is they greet each other with a holy kiss. You can go to the slide. When you meet, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Do this. Do you know what kind of fellowship you have to have to feel comfortable to greet other people. You know, sometimes I've been to churches where I don't even want to shake hands with some people. Forget about greeting them with a kiss and a kiss that is connected to the love of Jesus and brotherly, sisterly love of saying, we're sharing this life together. Are you doing okay? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? One of the reasons this became so important for Christians, and some of you have heard me say this, is because they know that the kiss was what Judas used to betray Jesus. That the one who betrayed Jesus disconnected himself from the truth of Jesus and soon found himself on his own. But those who love Jesus are going to redeem even the kiss with one another. So we kiss each other. Because Judas does not get the last word about who our Jesus is. We do. As we sing, would you just be open to saying, God, Help me to pay attention to what it means to devote myself in a new way 
in a biblical way so that I'm not disconnected and easily discouraged to unsubscribe or move on too quickly when you're at work in special ways. Sing this song. I count on one thing The same God that never fails and will not fail me now You won't fail me now in the waiting the same god who never laid is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will bless your name Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I will all my days in all my days. Yes, I will not choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. talk to somebody or pray with someone we have some wonderful leaders who are just here in our prayer space who would love to just listen encourage you help you if there's something you really want to pray with them about in a few minutes we're going to have a newcomers lunch as well intro to the 180 so those of you who are signed up for that we look forward to getting to know you better and taking some time together but before i close i want to read a, a passage to you that i sent to our elders this week as we were praying and planning and thinking about some things And it's a passage that's such a great reminder for us that as we are devoted to the things of God, new things start to grow in our lives that we never knew were there. So we read in 2 Thessalonians, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. One of the most encouraging things we experience in life is other people seeing that new things are growing in our life that we never thought were there. Being in community allows us 
to encourage one another and to see in other people that they're growing in their faith and they're encouraged and Jesus is at work. And Paul says this to a church. He says, you know, people are, are speaking about this and I'm aware that you're learning to love one another and the faith is flourishing. We would pray that God would do that today in our midst. That other people would notice the areas in our life that seem so helpless, broken, whether it's anger, unforgiveness, greed, selfishness, all the things that happen as we disconnect from the apostles' teachings and from fellowship together, that new things would grow. Hope and joy and kindness and generosity. We would ask God to do this in us. Let's just pray. Father, this morning we are so mindful how we need the power of the Holy Spirit to stir new things in us, to give us the strength that we need to model a deep devotion to the teachings you left your earliest followers. Jesus, would you help us to surrender to the Spirit's power? Would you teach us what it means to welcome the joy of doing this with others so that those who are strong would encourage the weak and those who are weak would know that it's safe to admit that they're weak. We pray that as we continue in this series, you would keep us attentive to the things in this world that sometimes convince us that we should move on too quickly, that we should walk away or unsubscribe or disconnect and miss all the good things you have in store for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless everyone. If you're watching online, special uh, connection with you, just email us if we can help in any way. If you're here for the intro to the 180, we, our team will just help you there in the foyer in a little while. We'll see you all soon. God bless everyone.